0: Welcome back to the Locked On Marlins podcast, your only daily Miami Marlins podcast, and now finally a podcast the day after a Marlins game. As it's been a little bit of a layoff here, the Marlins finally get back on the field. They handle the Orioles, shake off the rust, don't look bad at all. There's some aspects of the game that I want to talk about where you could tell that there was a layoff, but then there was other aspects where the team really just picked up where it left off in Philadelphia. The bats were a little slow out of the gate, but I thought means for the Orioles looked pretty solid on the bump too, so I wouldn't attribute it all to Rust, though I'm sure that played a part in the slow at-bats in the beginning. Marlins are able to... Get the ball out of the yard a couple times thanks to Francisco Cervelli. Jesus Aguilar stays hot and maybe hit the furthest home run we've seen by a Marlin since Giancarlo Stanton. It was an absolute bomb. And he's starting to look like that all-star form we saw in 2018. That could be huge for the Marlins. Jonathan VR had a couple good at bats after starting slow. You figured this might be a good opportunity for him to break out against a pretty weak pitching staff overall. I did say that means looked good yesterday, but overall in this three game series, VR should get plenty of chances against some weaker pitching. And of course, it's a stadium that he's comfortable in. But overall, the star of the night last night was Pablo Lopez. I'll talk about Pablo as well as the pieced-together bullpen that was able to close out the shutout. And Pablo came out early. The Marlins wanted to be careful with him, cut him off right around 60 pitches. You could tell Pablo was not thrilled with the decision, but after seeing so many pitchers around the league go down with injuries due to the rapid restart, including Mike Soroka of the Braves tearing his Achilles, I don't know if you can totally attribute that to everything that's going on. I'm sure it didn't help. You rarely see pitchers tear their Achilles trying to get off the mound like that, especially a young pitcher. Really tragic to see and really upsetting because Soroka is a really good young talent in this game. And even if he's in a division rival team, I love to watch that kid pitch and I hope he gets back soon. Marlins want to make sure that nothing like that happens with any of their young pitchers. Pablo Lopez is finally healthy with his arm. Let's try to keep him healthy all around. And he looks good. He looks good, they pulled him early, but he had control of the game, his command was on, and he was looks just as sharp as he looked in spring training 1.0 and in summer camp or spring training 2.0, and the Marlins might have a gem here in Pablo who continues to improve every time we see him, and there was a lot of hype around Pablo in the first spring training and the second spring training about how different he looks, and that was something that... I wasn't totally buying it first until I saw it for myself. I was like, how much better can Pablo look? i always looked at Pablo as a back of the rotation type of arm, and he probably was. But now that he adds that cutter, he gets another tick on his fastball to separate from the changeup that was already good, makes it even better. And the command is consistent. He's healthy. He looks great. And I can't wait for Pablo's next start to see what he is capable of and see if he can start building some momentum moving forward here. I will also be talking about MLB Pipeline's updated mid-season quote-unquote rankings, as I guess you could consider this mid-season. There's no minor league season, so the rankings are a little bit more arbitrary than usual, which is saying a lot because it is generally just arbitrary by nature. But I'm going to get into some of my agreements and disagreements with that top 30 list, especially with some of the new draft picks and where they lie. I did like to see MLB Pipeline higher on Max Meyer, who's a very polarizing prospect, as we've learned early on here. And I'll get into that as well. So talking about yesterday's game and what the takeaways were, first, I got to go with Richard Blyer. I know I I talked about Pablo. He looked really good. He commanded the zone. He was efficient, got ahead of batters, and really used his cutter and changeup effectively in in a way that Sandy Alcantara kind of does, working off of each other, and that was something that was really, really good to see. In terms of Richard Blyer, he looks great. I, I mean, this guy is just a pitcher. He doesn't have anything that wows you off the charts he really works in the 89 to 91 range but it's a heavy sink he's got a deceptive motion and he pounds the strike zone and it seems like he's very comfortable pitching to right handers too with the new rule that's really important He's able to mix in a changeup against right handers and that fastball naturally sinks away. Whether you want to call it a sinker or a two seam fastball, it tails away from right handers and he's able to get a lot of ground balls. I talked about on last episode how Richard Blyer is one of the best ground ball getters in baseball over the last year and a half or so. Last year he was banged up. He's finally healthy again. Looked sharp in two outings with the Orioles. Looked really good in his first outing with the Marlins against the Orioles. Really good to see. And it looks like he's going to be a piece for the Marlins for the next couple years. They have control of Blyer until 2023. He is 33 years old, but he's the type of pitcher that's going to age well because, again, velocity is not his M.O. And that sinker in the high 80s should be sustainable well into his late 30s as long as he's able to stay healthy and continue to throw strikes. So great to see from Richard Blyer. I loved what we saw from Brad Boxberger. Boxberger continues to look like a brand new pitcher. And that was something that was talked about a lot in spring training. You didn't know if it was going to be sustainable because of how bad he was the last two years of his career. He was really out of baseball, goes to driveline, really just totally overhauls his mechanics and dives deep into spin rates, release point, all that crazy stuff. And it's done wonders for him. And he's not the only one that's come away with some great results from driveline. And that's really just a career-saving move for him. And now Boxberger's looking like a back end of the rotation, or back end of the bullpen, excuse me, guy for the Marlins that can handle high leverage situations. All of a sudden, this bullpen that was a huge question mark last year was a little bit better going into this year and then you have this whole COVID-19 outbreak that basically attacked the bullpen more than anybody. And I'm not going to say the bullpen is going to be perfect down this whole road trip, because we don't expect any players to come back off the COVID-19 list until after the road trip. But it seems like they're going to hold their own, especially guys like Boxberger, Blyer. I'm very eager to see what Jorge Guzman can do. I'm um, skeptical a little bit of his ability to command multiple pitches at the major league level but I also am excited to see what one inning max effort of Jorge Guzman could look like because keep in mind he has always been starting in the minor leagues now out of the bullpen he's pitching one inning he doesn't have to pace himself as much I'm expecting consistent triple digits from Jorge Guzman it's just more about whether he can have a secondary pitch that's major league caliber, and we'll see if that's the case. Monte Harrison made his debut not exactly the way we hoped it would go, or he hoped it would go, but he did make a nice catch out in center field, and you hope that he just shook off the cobwebs and got those nerves out. Because it's really hard to make your MLB debut as is, but now considering that he made his debut after being locked in a hotel room for a week, that's an entirely different challenge and something I can't even imagine anyone would have to deal with. So Monte Harrison, let's not jump to conclusions here. Let's not get too frustrated with his 0-3 for start. You saw what he did in spring training. I'm not concerned, and I'm eager to see what he'll do in today's doubleheader, and I'm sure by the time you're listening to this, he may have already had a decent game, or we'll see what happens, but... I'm expecting Monte Harrison to settle in. And again, for the Marlins to get some value out of Harrison right now, he does not need to hit 280 with a ton of bombs. If he plays great defense, which we know he will, he's got a cannon for an arm out there. He wreaks havoc on the base paths. If he can just hit 250 and run into some baseballs, the Marlins will get value out of him in the back of the lineup, especially with the speed that he offers and the success the top of the order has been having. Another player who made their first appearance this year was Lewis Brinson. Brinson also did not come away with a hit yesterday, but did work himself into some good counts. And I liked what I saw in his pitch selection and his ability to lay off some of those tough two-strike pitches. The problem with Brinson still, and let's just hope that it was a first game kind of rust type of thing, and that this is something that he's improved upon is that when he gets in these hitters counts, he's not hitting the pitches that he needs to hit. And in the major leagues, you're only going to get one of those in an I bat if you're lucky. And when he works himself into these hitters counts, you could tell he's ready to attack the ball, but it either gets in on his hands and he makes weak contact or he swings and misses. And that's really just a recipe for disaster. If you can't hit in hitters counts, You're going to have a much harder time in pitcher's counts. So let's see if Brinson can stay aggressive, plus a similar sentiment to the Monte Harrison situation. If Brinson just is able to carry his weight offensively, does not have to be off the charts, another player that wreaks havoc on the bases and plays premier defense, an outfield of Monte Harrison and Lewis Brinson, not very many balls are going to fly and fall in the gaps out there. And that's where the most of the value of those two early on is probably going to come from, but we need to see it with the bats, especially with this decimated lineup. It can't be all from the top of the order. We can't be counting on Aguilar to homer every game or somebody like Cervelli to step up and go yard. It's just not going to be something that, Is reliable. However, the Marlins are going to be getting players back at the end of this road trip. So if the offense can just hold his own or a couple players can get hot on this road trip to carry the offense, that's all the Marlins need to try and get through this. It's really just survive in advance until the reinforcements come back. And that's what I'm excited to see. But another guy that has really just saved this team with his versatility and consistency is John Birdie. John Birdie was the type of player that I thought would get a cup of coffee last year and then go back down. He's a career minor leaguer. He's already 30 years old. But something's clicked with John Birdie. It's just clear. Something clicked in the minor leagues in 2018, and he has just been hitting ever since. We know he's fast. I mean, 98th percentile in the league fast. He's also versatile, playing multiple positions pretty well. He can play any outfield spot. He can play shortstop, second, third really anywhere besides catcher and pitcher, you can stick John Birdie. You add the fact that he is a speedster and that he's actually been able to hit pretty consistently, this is the best Marlins utility player I can remember since, like, Damian easily. So that's huge for the Marlins to always have that insurance, especially now with Aizen Diaz gone for the year after opting out. So as the Marlins continue to slowly bring players back, from the COVID IL, Birdie's probably gonna be moving all around, and he's the Swiss Army knife for this team, and really just a huge help for Don Mattingly. I'm sure, and makes things a lot easier when he's trying to put together his lineups right now with the state of the roster. There's going to be a few different arms we'll see in this doubleheader that should be an almost an audition for some of them because maybe a couple players can stick. We already know Blyer's gonna stick even after some arms come back. Maybe the Marlins decide to move on from Adam Conley or some other players if some of these pitchers that the Marlins added in the 11th hour turn out to be legitimate guys that the Marlins feel like can stay in the bullpen and be better than Conley or some of the other guys that they might have. I'm going to get into the Marlins updated top 30 prospect list but first, let me tell you a little bit about Postmates and how it could be a huge help for you right now as it has been for me. I have not been wanting to leave the house right now with everything going on, and I'm always thinking about what I'm going to eat next. Don't love to cook myself, so really I'm always just trying to figure out what my next meal is going to be. Postmates has made things super easy. All of my favorite restaurants nearby, I can pull it up on the phone, on the app, and And just order from my favorite restaurant, they'll deliver it to my door, contact free delivery, and it's all taken care of which is just so much easier. I don't have to go get in my car, drive somewhere. I don't have to worry about where I'm going to go eat, look around. It's all on the app. You can see what restaurants they are partnered with. It's probably going to be any restaurant you like near you. And on top of that, for a limited time, listeners of the Locked On Marlins podcast can get $100 in free delivery credit for their first seven days by putting the promo code Locked On. That's one word, Locked On. When you sign up for Postmates, and you can put it in on the website or on the app. It's promo code locked on and it's $100 for free deliveries on your first seven days. Anything you need, anytime you need it, Postmate it. So it's always fun when any top prospects' rankings get updated or come out. It's just interesting to gauge your take or your perception on some of the prospects, whether it's in the Marlin system or in another system versus whatever prospect outlet you're looking at and seeing where the disagreements might be. With MLB Pipeline's updated list, the more I talk about it and the more I look at it, it's really pretty solid overall. I think the only areas where I have some disagreements are on some of the individual ratings on quality of pitches and maybe some players' ceilings, as MLB Pipeline likes to give. And I tend to think that they're a little bit more harsh on any college pitchers outside of the top 100 and tend to temper their ceilings down a little bit. But when you look at the Marlins pitchers in the draft that they went with, they did go with mostly college pitchers besides Dax Fulton, who MLB Pipeline seems to be pretty high on because he's leaps and bounds ahead of Kyle Nicholas and Zach McCambly and Jake Eater in the top 30. I mean, the difference between Dax Fulton and Kyle Nicholas in the eyes of MLB pipeline is Jose Devers, Cameron Misner, Connor Scott, Peyton Burdick, Gerard Encarnacion, Jose Salas, Naz Nunez, then Kyle Nicholas. That's a pretty big gap there. And that gap, I think, is a little dramatic. I, I'm a little bit lower on Fulton and a little bit higher on Nicholas. And mind you, when I say a little bit lower, I'm just saying he should not be ahead of Cameron Meisner or Jose Devers maybe at this point, but you could make the case that he he should be. I I think he was a legitimate first-round prospect before the Tommy John surgery. The questions for me is the consistent velocity. Can he come back and be healthy? The Morelands taking over his rehab situation should help. And in the past, pitchers out of high school that have Tommy John surgery seem to be a lot better and a lot more successful than when it happens early in their professional career, which is something that bodes well for both Fulton and the Marlins. I'm not super sure that the mechanics that he possessed before the injury will be sustainable. I expect to see some major overhaul in his mechanics for a six foot six frame. He really doesn't use his legs very well. That makes me a little bit more excited though, because there's a lot more in that arm if he's able to use his frame, his six foot six frame, and extend and really push off that rubber. Because if you look at some video, he really does not even get half as wide as you'd expect somebody that's six foot six at the point of release. And that could put a lot of strain on your arm. I'm not gonna totally say that that's the reason why he had Tommy John surgery but there's definitely a little bit of an issue where he's a tall pitcher that probably relied on the fact that he was so much taller than everybody else as a kid and really did not have to focus on getting that extension off the mound and really using his entire body. But now it catches up to you. So we'll see how he looks when he comes back from surgery. Nonetheless, an incredibly valuable prospect and somebody that has a really high ceiling. It's so early for this kid. He's got a lot of polish still despite some of the improvements that he might need to make with his mechanics he's got really good command for a high schooler a plus curveball already and a fastball with room for more as I mentioned if he can continue to hone in on his mechanics 90 to 93 already as it was and he's barely 18 years old so I'm excited to see what he can do when he comes back and we'll see If he can continue to climb up the rankings, if he gets off to a hot start, of course it depends how fast he comes back from Tommy John, and I'm sure the Marlins do not want to rush him by any means. But with Nicholas all the way down at 20, that was something that was a little bit peculiar to me, though I think it's more of a testament to the Marlins system as a whole, because it's hard to put somebody like Kyle Nicholas, who has some command issues, who doesn't really have a great track record of throwing strikes— ahead of Jose Salas, who you can dream on, and is 17 years old. Gerard Encarnacion, who came off of a breakout year. Peyton Burdick, we know what he did. Connor Scott just has that first-round pick uh, shine that's still kind of lasting on him. And then it's Meisner and Devers, who both are guys that we haven't seen enough yet, but in flashes looked really good. So it's kind of hard to figure out where you would place him. I would definitely place him over Nunez at this point, and that's because Nunez struggles with the bat. We know that. He's got plenty of time to figure it out. He's only 19 years old, but he did struggle at the lower level last year with consistently hitting the ball. I think he only hit about 200, and the glove is what plays for him and the plus almost double-plus speed. But you got to hit the ball at some point, especially as a shortstop in this league shortstop has become a position where you need to be able to slug a little bit too. And if you look at all the best shortstops in the game, as I've said time and time again, most of them can hit for some power. And right now Nunez doesn't really flash much more than 30-grade power. And I'm not going to count it out for him, but for a player that's 5'9", 160 pounds, power is never going to be his game. He is a switch hitter. He is a speedster. And But he's really going to have to have that hit tool play up big time. And I think the 50-hit tool right now is pretty generous by MLB Pipeline, given what we've seen. Not going to be harsh and try to make too many assumptions from one season, and it was an abbreviated season at that. But when I look at some of his high school stuff, some of the video, there's some adjustments that need to be made with his swing as well from both sides and his timing mechanisms that just don't seem like they'll play up at the higher levels. Don't get me wrong, an incredibly toolsy kid that you can dream on and potentially could be a legitimate option up the middle, it's just going to take a lot of improvement with the bat. With Kyle Nicholas, the floor is so much higher for him, as Naz Nunez could easily never make his way to the major leagues. He could also very easily be a very, very solid middle infield option. But it's really polarizing for Nunez. I wouldn't say Kyle Nicholas isn't polarizing, but Kyle Nicholas's floor is much higher because he, at the very least, is going to be a closer type or back-end bullpen type. Because right now, his fastball is already a 70-grade fastball that can touch triple digits, especially if he's working in shorter stints, if he's trying to be stretched out as a starter, which I'm sure the Marlins are going to try to do first. That is another story. He still sits in the high 90s, but he paces himself a little bit better. And the slider, that's the thing. You hear people say Max Meyer could be in the bullpen right now because he has two 70-grade pitches. MLB Pipeline gave him a 70, gave Nicholas that is a 70 on the fastball, but the 55 on the slider, the 55 grade is just way too harsh in my opinion. And from what I've seen from that slider, it is not even close to a a hair below 60. I'd give it as much as a 65 grade. And if the only reason why it's not a 60 grade slider is the command of it, maybe I can understand that argument. But when it comes to his ability to just spin the baseball and how hard that slider is, it can sometimes reach 90 miles per hour. And it just is, it's gross. I I don't really know how else to describe it. You'll have to see for yourself. I've put some video up on Twitter in the past and I can reshare it after this episode. And he had no problem making hitters chase sliders. And this was in the Cape Cod League in the other, other batter's box, because he sets you up with that upper nineties fastball. And then that slider is hard and sharp and it bites the big problem for him. And I won't even say problem because he did show improvement as the summer wore on. And then into the abbreviated spring is can he throw strikes? The 45 grade on his control seems pretty accurate. And right now his changeup is almost non-existent. He needs a third pitch and he needs to refine his command. If he wants to be a starter, he's got time to do that. And he's only 21 years old. So he's young for a college arm and For a college arm, he is very raw. I think when you look at some types of college pitchers, you don't really get an opportunity like this to get a high-risk, high-reward player, though I do hedge with the fact that he can be a legitimate bullpen arm. So the high risk is the fact that if you're counting on him to be a starting pitcher. I really think the command will continue to improve. It's just whether it can improve enough to be a starter in the major leagues. He... You don't strike out 17 batters in one game by accident as he did against Sacred Heart this past spring, and I'm excited to see what he can do. Zach McCambly, another player that I think has less bullpen risk and a higher floor than you'd expect. Lower ceiling, higher floor on McCambly. He does a better job at throwing strikes than Kyle Nicholas does, and he still does have a major league breaking ball, and that's something the Marlins were very keen on was every pitcher had to have either... A major league off speed pitch or just a ridiculously good fastball or both. And it seems like most of these pitchers had both, as Kyle Nicholas had both, Max Meyer had both, Fulton had the breaking ball, and McCambly has a pretty good fastball, definitely an above average fastball and a well above average curveball that's a 65 grade in the eyes of MLB Pipeline, which I think the curveball of McCambly and the slider of Nicholas are very comparable and both should sit around that 65-grade range. McCambly is no doubt a starter. It's just the question is whether he can continue to have the command of a third pitch because he has a similar issue where the changeup just really isn't existent yet. We'll see if he can add a third pitch and continue to command it. Jake Eater, another case of the same thing. A good fastball, another left-handed pitcher, a high-ceiling type of college arm that's rare – but the command is a question too. So there's two schools of thought as how you could look at this. You've got three pitchers that the Marlins are hoping to be starters in the big leagues, but have legitimate risk to not be. I'd say McCambly has the least risk of the trio, but there are also three pitchers that have good enough stuff already that they could make a case to be bullpen arms in the near future. So you can hedge that risk a little bit with the fact that they have great pure stuff, But the fact that they don't have great command is a little bit concerning if you're really holding out on them being starting pitchers. So we'll really need to see what happens in that first year of professional baseball that we'll have to wait till next year to see. But don't be surprised if one of these guys comes off to a really hot start. And if I had to pick one, I think Kyle Nicholas could very well impress a lot of people right out of the gate and climb his way up quick. It's going to be double a And high A and double A, where he's going to be challenged even more to locate multiple pitches, whereas I think in the lower levels, that two-pitch mix will be enough. That's as much as I'm going to get into today on the MLB Pipeline rankings, but I'll continue to get into the farm system as time moves forward and get into more players specifically. Hope you're geared up for this doubleheader. As you're listening to this, maybe you're listening during the doubleheader because you got tired of listening to some of Holly's rants or maybe this is getting you through the break between the two games or you're listening after. No matter what, I hope you are enjoying Marlins baseball being back, albeit half the roster, and I will be continuing to put episodes out now every day. Apologize for not having the episode yesterday. I'm up in the Northeast right now, and power was out for the day. So I'm a little bit late today too, but I'm glad I was able to get this out, and I hope you enjoy, and I will talk to you tomorrow for another episode that will be recapping the doubleheader, maybe a little bit more on prospects. And for now, scream it from the rooftops. The Marlins are in first place. Do it while you can. Enjoy it. It's August. The Marlins are in first. Own it and be proud. I'll talk to you tomorrow.